Hey, uh, man, Kristen, I love what you said, that it's exhausting on Sunday. Could I add something to that? Where are you, Kristen? She's already back there serving. She just said, I'm out. Can I just add, it's exhausting but worth it. It's exhausting but fulfilling. I think she would say that. So also, I just want to clear, clear something up. Man, I'm excited about next week. Like, like Nick and Dave mentioned, next week is our one-year anniversary. We're celebrating one year as a church. And maybe you're coming here and you're like, wait, this church isn't even a year old. I mean, it seems like they got it all together. Everything looks so good. Dude, we're still figuring this out. And the best is yet to come. Right? We still got more to go. But next week, we're celebrating here at Skate House service, 945 to 1045. Afterwards, we're having a big party at Nick and Angela's house. And um, we got RSV, or we got a way for you to sign up to get that address, and we'll be giving that to you next week as well. But we're going to provide lunch. We're going to um, have some baptisms. It's going to be a fun time. So first, come to Skate House. Don't go to Nick and Angela's house. You're going to be there like, well, where are we? And then afterwards, we're going to go to their house. So it's, it's going to be a fun time. Um, and I'm excited today as we close out this campaign that we've been in called Rid the Red. And uh, I want to talk to you about exactly what Dave and Kristen just talked about, and that's, that's serving. You know, in 1968, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. preached this sermon entitled, The Drum Major Instinct. And uh, but, by the way, th- this is one of my goals, to be able to preach a sermon where decades later somebody refers back to it, okay? Like, that's on my bucket list. Maybe one day I will preach a sermon as good as Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., so somebody will reference it. But in 1968, he preached this sermon called The Drum Major Instinct. And in this sermon, he said that each and every one of us has this drum major instinct within us. Now, I don't know how familiar you are with marching band, uh, but I was in our high school marching band. I played saxophone at Booker T. Washington High School. And uh, come on. And the marching band I was in, we had some soul. We, We had some moves. See, the marching band I was in, we didn't march like this. We march like this. And if you know, you know, right? We had those high knees. We were bringing it. Now, here's the deal. In high school, in marching band at Booker T. Washington, I was the only white guy in the band. Like, for four years, I was the only white guy. And, and my, my bandmates, man, they were so gracious to me. They, like, brought me in. And I didn't have any rhythm. I, I didn't really... I couldn't hang like, like everybody else, but they brought me in, and they, and they were so gracious to me. They even gave me a nickname, called me White Lightning. Not really, but that'd be a cool nickname if they gave it to me, right? I mean, I'd be like, oh, I'm White Lightning. I would introduce myself like that all the time if they really gave me that nickname. They just didn't call me anything. But I was, I was in the band, and, and they were so gracious to me. And, um, and, and I, I think we actually have footage of me in our in, in high school in the marching band. Here, check, check this out. Maybe you can spot me. I don't know. There we go. See, like I said, man, we just brought it. I'm trying my best. I, I'm doing everything I can. And then here we go. This is, this is at a parade. I think I'm probably tired around here. And then we're going to go back into march. And here it is. We got to get those knees higher. Though. See, again, we were tired, but we had those high knees. And so, so I was in marching band. And I loved it, man. I loved it so much. Now, in a marching band, there's a drum major. And the drum major leads the way. The drum major is out front of the marching band, and they have a staff or a scepter or a cane, and they're leading the way, and the band is following them. And Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said that inside each and every one of us is a drum major who wants to take charge, who wants to lead the way, who wants to be out front, who wants attention. 
And in his sermon, he talked about this moment in Jesus' ministry where James and John, two of Jesus' followers, his disciples came up to him and they allowed the drum major to come out and they said, hey Jesus, when you enter into your glory, when you enter into your kingdom, we wanna sit at your right and at your left. And essentially they were saying, Jesus, we wanna be first and second. We wanna be out front when you establish your kingdom. And Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said, this is their drum major instinct coming out. Now the problem with James and John is they were exercising this drum major instinct from a place of narcissism, of, of greed, of pride. They wanted to be out front. They wanted positions of power. And Martin Luther King said, don't, 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 don't let the drum major come out in those ways. But, but it's not a bad thing to want to be a drum major. It's not a bad thing to want to be out front. It's not a bad thing to want attention. It's not a bad thing to lead the way. He said, yes, embrace the drum major instinct and allow the drum major to come out, not in a prideful way, but instead, he said, be the first. Be the first when it comes to showing love. Lead the way in that. Lead the way in what it looks like to model humility. Be out front when it comes to forgiveness. He said, don't suppress the drum major instinct. Well, it's bad to be first. It's bad to be out front. It's not bad to be first. It's not bad to be out front. But be first. Be out front when it comes to showing love and grace and compassion and humility. Allow your drum major to come out in those areas. And then in this, in this sermon, he said this quotable that we often visit once a year on the day that we celebrate his life and legacy. He said this. He said, everybody can be great because anybody can serve. You don't have to have a college degree to serve. You don't have to make your subject and verb agree to serve. You only need a heart full of grace, a soul generated by love. He said, everybody can be great because anybody can serve. What he did was he connected the path to greatness through servanthood. If you want to be great in life, he said, serve. And Martin Luther King Jr. isn't the one who came up with this. He didn't have this epiphany one day. It was Jesus who actually taught this and modeled this. And I want to show you this moment in Jesus' ministry where he teaches this and then he shows what he means when he says the path to greatness is through servanthood. See, there was this, this time in Jesus' ministry, it was his last meal. It's known as the Last Supper. Most likely you've seen the painting of the Last Supper by Leonardo da Vinci. Uh, it, it, it looks just like this right here. And so you've seen this picture before. Now, most likely the Last Supper didn't look like this. More, more culturally realistic uh, is a portrayal more like this one right here. So the Last Supper probably looked a lot like this, where uh, in, in that culture, in that custom, the way that they did meals, it would have been at a low-lying table, and the people would have reclined around the table. Uh, they would have been laying down as they ate this meal. And so this most likely is what the Last Supper would have looked like. And Jesus has this last meal with his disciples because hours after this, he's going to be betrayed by one of his closest followers, Judas. Judas betrays him, he hands him over, he's uh, sentenced in this mock trial, and then he goes to be crucified and is killed. And so in this last supper, this last time Jesus has with his disciples, he teaches them this concept, this idea, this understanding that the path to greatness is really through being a servant. And as they're celebrating Passover, and, and, and before we get into that, I, I, I want to give you some context leading up to that so, that so that what we see, we'll be able to feel the weight of this. We'll, we'll better understand this. Um, 
But in this Passover meal, see, they're celebrating this meal uh, as a way to remind themselves of the story of Israel. See, thousands of years prior to this, uh, Israel was set free from Egyptian captivity through this guy named Moses. And Moses is seen as Israel's savior, their Messiah, to deliver them from Egyptian captivity. And there was this prophecy that came uh, later on about this Messiah who would come to one day restore Israel again. So what happens is, is Israel is set free from Egyptian captivity. They wander around in a wilderness for about 40 years. They enter into the promised land that God has set aside for them. They conquer that promised land, and then they establish a kingdom. They have their own kingdom. They have kings like Saul and David and Solomon. And all this can be read in the Old Testament of the scriptures. I'm just giving you an overview. And so they have this great kingdom, but as time goes on, the people of Israel rebel against God. They go their own way, they do their own thing. And because of that, God allows them to be conquered by other nations. And so in the history of the world, what we see is that the Assyrians conquer a lot of the world, including Israel. And so there's this prophecy about a savior who's going to come, a Messiah, who's going to redeem Israel, who's going to set Israel free. And so Israel is looking for this Messiah who's going to establish the kingdom of Israel again. But the Assyrians come and take over. Israel is an occupied nation now. They're a conquered people. And a Messiah doesn't come. And then the Babylonians conquer the Assyrians. And a Messiah doesn't come. And then the Persians overtake the Babylonians. Israel's waiting for a savior to come redeem them now from the Persians, but a Messiah doesn't come. And then the Persians are overtaken by the Greeks, by Alexander the Great. And then eventually the Greeks are overthrown by Rome. And by the way, I just want to point this out. This is world history. Like when we read through the scriptures, we're not reading some fairy tale. We're not reading some storybook. We're reading about what actually took place in history. And this is one of the reasons, this is one of the pieces of evidence that you can trust what the scriptures say. This stuff isn't made up. This is world history. And that's what we see throughout the Old Testament of the scriptures. Just this telling of how the nation of Israel is being conquered by these different nations. And they're longing for a savior. And so now here we are. Israel is conquered by the Roman Empire. And they're waiting for this savior to come. And then here comes Jesus. He bursts onto the scene. And essentially... Jesus says, I'm the one you've been waiting for. Like, I'm the one who has come to redeem Israel. Now, as people were looking for this Savior, as people were looking for this Messiah, they had a very different idea of what the Savior and Messiah would be compared to who Jesus actually was. See, see they were looking for a savior, a Messiah, to come overthrow the, Rom the Roman Empire and then establish the new kingdom of Israel. So they're looking for a warrior Messiah, a king to come and set up a brand new nation, the nation of Israel. And, and, and we see this throughout Jesus' ministry, how people are longing for this Messiah, this savior, this warrior king, and they think he's this warrior king. And again, we see this throughout his ministry. And I want to show you just one instance where we see uh, these people thinking that Jesus is this kind of Messiah. It's, it's in the last week of Jesus' life. If you've been around church any amount of time, or maybe you've heard about this, it's called the triumphal entry. And so what's happened is Passover is coming up. This is the last supper where Jesus has with his disciples. Passover is coming up, and what's happened is tens of thousands of Jewish people have descended on the city of Jerusalem. This is where the temple of God 
God is. And they're there to celebrate the Passover festival. And as they're there, a week before Passover begins, Jesus enters into the city of Jerusalem. So there's crowds of thousands of people all around, and they've heard about Jesus. Some of them have seen his miracles. They've heard his teachings. Like, Jesus is a big deal. And so they're excited to see him come into Jerusalem, and they're thinking, now's the time. This is going to happen. The Savior we've been looking for, the Messiah, he's here, and he's going to do it. Like, he's going to conquer Rome. And so what happens is people line the streets as Jesus makes his way into the city of Jerusalem. Here, here's how it's recorded for us in Mark eleven seven. When they brought the cult to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. And many people spread their cloaks on the road while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. And so Jesus is sitting on this colt. It's, it's, it's walking through and people are lining each side. They're laying down their coats. They're laying down branches and they're saying, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Man, these people are excited because they're thinking, Jesus is coming to overthrow the Roman Empire. This is amazing. And they're saying, Hosanna. Now, the word Hosanna means save. Save us. Save us now. And what they say is, blessed is the one who comes in the, in the name of David, this conquering warrior, this mighty warrior. They're like, yes, the Savior is here. He's going to establish the nation of Israel again. He's going to overthrow Rome. Our conquering king is here. But that's not who Jesus really was. He was actually somebody a lot different than they thought he was. Yes, he was the Messiah, the Savior, but he was a different Savior and Messiah than what they were looking for. See, Jesus came to set some people free, but not just Israel. He came to set the whole world free from sin. Jesus came to conquer, but not the Roman Empire. It was sin and death that he came to conquer, and he accomplished that when he went to the cross. And he took your sin and my sin on himself so that when Jesus died, it died, and he took away the sting of hell and death. Jesus came to save, but not from government oppression. He came to save from the oppression of shame and guilt and inadequacy and hopelessness. That's what he came to save from. Jesus came to restore, not the former glory of Israel, but he came to restore our shattered relationship with God. Jesus came to establish a kingdom, but it wasn't an earthly kingdom here as a ruler. It was a heavenly kingdom where he would rule in our hearts, in our lives forever. And so this is not the Messiah these people were looking for, but this was the Messiah they needed. Sometimes... We come looking for one thing and we get what we actually really need. So Jesus was the Savior and Messiah, but he came in very different than what they anticipated. And the ending was very different than what they thought. They thought that he was going to establish a kingdom, setting up the nation of Israel again, but instead what he did was he set up a heavenly kingdom going to the cross to redeem us so we could have a relationship with God and have life here and now. That's what he came for. And we even see it in the way that Jesus entered into the city. It said that Jesus rode in on a colt. Now, a colt can be a horse, uh, but a colt can also be a male donkey 
that's four years old and younger. A male donkey four years old and younger is also called a colt. And we know that Jesus actually rode into the city of Jerusalem on a donkey because some other parallel passages describe this. And so here's the picture that's set. Jesus comes into the city of Jerusalem, not like the Roman emperor, not on this steed, this stallion, with this, this picture of might and conquering and power. No, instead, Jesus rides in the city of Jerusalem on a baby donkey. It's this image of humility and peace. Oh, I'm a, I'm a Messiah. I'm a savior, but not a conquering one. A peaceful one, a humble one, a servant Messiah. So we see that there, but we also see it more pronounced in this last meal that he has with his disciples. And so Jesus is in this upper room with his disciples eating this meal. And before we open the door and eavesdrop on this meal, I want to set the scene for you. See, there are thousands of people in the city of Jerusalem. They've descended in this city to partake of this meal, to, to participate in this celebration. And Jesus tells his disciples, hey, go to this place. You're going to find an upper room. That's where we're going to have this last supper. And sure enough, they find things just as, as he says. And so everything is ready. The preparations are made. And then they arrive at the house. Now, in that day and time, it was customary when you walk into a house, you would take your shoes off because people then wore sandals. By the way, can we just agree that sandals and flip-flops and Crocs and anything that shows your feet should just be outlawed? I mean, that's gross. That's disgusting, right? You may say free the feet. I say no, keep them away. Nobody wants to see this, right? But anyway, so they wore sandals back then. And if you ever wore sandals or flip-flops or anything like that, and you've walked through wet grass, your feet get wet. You walk on dusty roads, your feet get dusty. It's hot. If you've walked in flip-flops during the summer, your feet get sweaty. Israel is hot. They're walking on dusty roads. And on top of that, there are dogs and chickens and horses and all kinds of other animals just on the roam in Israel. And these animals leave presents behind. And so this is on the ground, right? And so they're walking around in these sandals. Their feet are sweaty. Their feet are caked in dust. They may have stepped in something. And now they come to the house. And it's customary when you're in a house to take your, your sandals off. And when you would do that, the host of the home or the servant of the home, would provide a bowl, and the bowl would be full of water, and there'd be a towel there, so that as you enter into the home, you can wash your feet, because again, they're sweaty, they're caked in dust, maybe you stepped in something too, I don't know, so that when you walk into the home, you don't walk in with sweaty, dirty, stinky feet, and so this is what was customary, but what happens is the evening meal takes place. And we see it recorded for us, Luke chapter 22, when the hour had came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. Remember that scene? They're close quarters, they're reclining, they're next to one another. And he said to them, I've eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again 
till it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. And then, and then what he does is he gives this beautiful outline for communion. He, he lets us know um, about this reminder that he's going to institute for us so that we can be reminded of the grace that we need. And this is why we partake in communion every single week. This isn't a religious ritual. This is a reminder of the grace that we need. And so when I'm done talking, we're going to give you an opportunity to partake in communion. You have a, a cracker and some juice right there on your chair. And this reminds us of Jesus' body that was broken for us, the cracker. And the juice reminds us of his blood that was shed for us. And again, we do this every single week because I don't know about you, but I need to be reminded that I need grace. That I don't get it right all the time, but thank God he does. And thank God he still loves me. And thank God he still calls me by name. And thank God he has a plan and a purpose for my life. And thank God he's not done with me. And he wants more from my life. And I need to be reminded of that on a weekly basis. That's why we take communion every week. Not so you can get a crumb and a shot but so that we can be reminded of God's grace. And so Jesus is going to explain this to his disciples here at this meal. He said he took the bread, he gave thanks, and he broke, and he gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. The Son of Man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to that man who betrays him. Watch this. They began, again, they're at this dinner. They're lying down. They're reclining. Jesus says this. He's given them the bread. He's given them the juice. He said, somebody is going to be betray me. And they began, his disciples, his followers, who are all around at the table, began to question among themselves, which of them it might be who would do this? Verse 24, here it is. A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was considered to be greatest. Jesus is there reclining with his disciples, his followers. He tells them, I'm going to be betrayed. And this is how you can remember me and my grace every time you eat bread. Oh, this is like my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then when you drink the wine, remember my blood that's shed for you. My, my body is going to be broken. My blood spilled and poured out. Somebody is going to be betray me. And then his friends around the table say, not me. So, by the way, who of us is the greatest? Are you kidding me? Which one of us is the most important? These are guys who have been following Jesus for three years and they're arguing about who's more important. John 13, 1. It was just before the Passover festival. And all this happens, right? This is what happens right after that. It was, it was just before the Passover festival. His, 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 I mean, see the scene. They're reclining at the table. He's just told them this and now they're, who's the greatest? Who's the best? Who's more important? And in the midst of their arguing, it was just before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew 
that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. In other words, Jesus knew in that moment all things had been put under his power. All things. All, thi- all things meaning the, the, so the New Testament was written in, in the Greek language. And, and it was translated into English so that we can read it. And the, the Greek word for where it says all things literally means, take note, all things. Okay? Jesus knew all things had been put under his power. So who's the most important person in the room? It's Jesus. All things have been, who's the most important person in the world? It's Jesus. At that moment, right then and there, the most important person in the entire world was Jesus. And he knew that. And he knew that he was returning to his father. So, because he knew that, so, because he was secure in who he was, so, because he knew he was the most important person in the room. Here's what he did as the most important person in the room. Watch. He got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. I want to ask, do you see the scene? <clears throat> Here, here's the scene. The disciples, Jesus, walk into this house from walking on dusty roads, not the wrestler, but dusty roads. Feet are caked in dust. Feet are sweaty. They walk into the house. They take their shoes off, their sandals off. And somehow in the preparations, there's no basin at the front door. There's no towel at the front door. There's no way for them to wash their feet. Remember who provides the water and the towel, the host of the home. The host didn't do it. Remember who provides the water and the towel, the servant of the house, the lowest person in the house. There's no servant there. So now there's a really big need here because we've just gotten into this house with dirty, dusty, nasty, smelly feet and there's no water and there's no towel. And so now the question is, who is going to fetch the water? Who's going to get the towel? The real question is, who among us is the lowest in standing? Who is the least important because they need to be the one to get the water they need to be the one to get to town and you can see it can't you all these followers of jesus and they're like standing there and they're like looking around sizing one another up and peter james and john three of jesus closest friends and followers they're like it's not us like we're the most important people in the room i mean this is what they're thinking it's not us there's no way it's us we're not getting the water we're not getting the towel Probably Peter probably glances over at Bartholomew. It's like with a name like that, he's probably the lowest person in the room. It's got to be him. Bartholomew's thinking to himself, it's not me, it's Judas. I mean, that guy, who can trust him, right? Judas is probably the lowest person in the room. Judas is probably thinking, no way is it me, it's Andrew. 
And Andrew's probably thinking to himself, I'm Peter's brother. Like, I know somebody. There's no way I'm the lowest in the room. And what happens is all these disciples, these followers of Jesus, look around the room. They're sizing one another up, and they're wondering, who's the lowest? Who's the least important? And nobody steps up to stoop down to get water or a towel. And so what happens is they make their way into the room where they're going to have this meal with dirty, nasty, smelly feet. The tension is so thick, you can cut it with a knife. And the smell is so funky, you can't ignore it. And they recline at the table, dirty feet. And imagine Jesus just looks around at them. He's like, somebody, somebody. These guys have spent three years with me. Somebody has got to get it. But they don't. They don't get it. And so they begin with the meal. Like, can you pass the bread? Can you pass the salt? They're like dipping their bread in the chutney. Stinks. They're going through this. This is the elephant in the room. And you can smell it. Something needs to be done. But nobody stands to stoop, to serve everyone else. And then Jesus says, I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be handed over. I'm going to be crucified. And the disciples, one by one, say, it's not me. I'm, I'm not the one doing it. Because, because after all, like, I'm, I'm, I'm like Jesus' closest friend. Like, I'm close to him. And they start arguing over who's more important. Why are they arguing about who's important? We just read it. A dispute arose among them as to who was the greatest, who was the most important. Why? Because it goes back to who's going to get the water. Nobody's washed the feet yet. They're sitting in this tension, and they still haven't resolved this question. Who's the most important? Who needs to wash the feet? That's the question. Who's going to stoop to serve? And none of Jesus' disciples step up. And here's what we read. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. Here's how ridiculous it is. The disciples are arguing over who's the most important, and they forgot about Jesus. Jesus is the most important person in the room. And they're like, like vying for status, vying for importance, because also what they're saying, Jesus just said, I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be crucified. I'm not going to be here. Do you see how sick and disgusting this is? They're like, well, who's going to take over? Who's more important? Who's the most important? Well, once he's gone, I'll step in. Do you see the pride? Do you see the arrogance? Do you see the ego here? But Jesus was the most important person in the room. And they forgot that. I wonder, do you ever forget that Jesus is the most important person in the room? When you get in an argument with your wife, do you forget that Jesus is right there in the room with you? And he's the most important person in the room? He's like, come on, serve like I did. 
when you just have it, like you're just done with your kids and you're like, oh, I'm the parent. You ever do that? Right? Isn't that a funny picture? I'm the parent and I'm losing control. I'm freaking out. Like, come on, come on, come on, come on. Be the parent. Do you forget that Jesus is right there with you? And not in a guilt way, but like he's right there helping you, guiding you, leading you. He's the most important person in the room. Jesus is right there. And so it says, knowing that the Father had put all things under his power, knowing who he was, because he was secure, knowing he had come from God and was returning to God. Here's what he did. He got up from the meal. He took off his outer clothing and he wrapped a towel around his waist. And he poured water into a basin and he began to wash his disciples' feet, trying them with the towel that was wrapped around his waist. Jesus steps up. And he grabs the water, he grabs the basin, he grabs the towel, and then he stoops down and begins to wash his disciples' feet. Jesus, the most important person in the room, stooped to the lowest position to serve. Life is not about power and might and conquering how far can I get ahead and how can I get my way and Jesus explained and he showed right here man you want to be great stoop to serve others you want to be great in life this is the picture and then after he had washed their feet he said do you understand what I've done for you you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so. I, that's what I am. I'm your master. I'm your teacher. I'm your Lord. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I've done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. And then Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors, but you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who's greater, the one who's at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who's at the table, but I am among you as one who serves? Listen, the one that we follow became our servant and he invites us not to just know about him but to do what he did and he said this now that you know these things you, you want to be great serve now that you know these things you'll be blessed if you do them you'll be blessed if you do them so you want to be blessed in your marriage serve you want to be blessed in the way that you parent and raise your kids serve Serve them. You want to be great in life? You know how to do that? Serve. You want to make more money? You want to land the promotion? You want to grow the business? How do you do that? Serve. Serve your customers. You want to help your friend? Serve. The path to greatness is by stooping to serve. That's how you be great in life.
in whatever way you want to be blessed, in whatever way you want to be great, in whatever way you want to be first. And it's not bad to be first. It's not bad to be great. It's not bad to be blessed. But if you want that, and you want to let the drum major lead, the way you do that is by serving. I came across this collection of images that I found really powerful. I wanted to share them with you so that you could see the power in stooping to serve. This is Jesus washing various people's feet. Yeah, the next one. Yeah, and those nurses who so badly needed a break, especially during the times of COVID and not to be yelled at or Jesus stoops to serve. Next one. Even for the distracted. Next one. Yeah, even the Pope whom people consider to be great. Jesus stoops to serve. Next. Even Judas. By the way, Judas had his feet washed by Jesus, like literally. Jesus washed the feet of the one who would betray him. Oh, man. Next one. Yeah, no matter who you are, where you've been and what you've done, no matter your lifestyle, Jesus stoops to serve and loves you. Next one. Uh, even Russian soldiers. Next one. Uh, the highly religious. Next. Uh, Ukrainian refugees. Jesus stoops to serve. Next. Even the leaders and religious organizations. Next. Even the little children. Next. The addicted, strung out, the out of control, the ones who feel like maybe God hates them and is far from them, he still stoops to serve. Next. Again, the distracted. Next. Even the moms who seem to have it all together. Next. The inmates, prisoners. Next. The nuns. Next. Yeah. See, I love these images because it shows figuratively how Jesus stoops to serve each and every one of us to clean us up. But can I just let you know that Jesus literally cleaned you up when he went to the cross. When Jesus went to the cross, he went to take your sin and shame away from you so you don't have to live in that anymore. And he invites you to follow him, to trust him, to be like him by believing that he died for you on the cross. Giving him your life, making him the leader of your life, not just believing in Jesus, but following him and being baptized into him. And I wanna ask you this morning, have you made that decision to be baptized into the one who stoops to serve? To be baptized into following him, making him the leader of your life? If you've never made that decision, man, today is the day. We're doing some baptisms next week as we celebrate one year, and I would love for you to be a part of that. We're gonna do it in a hot tub, so the water is gonna be warm. I was thinking about this, let, let's just make it cold so you'll really remember it. But 
We're, it's going to be in a hot tub. The water is going to be warm. It's going to be a celebration. Man, today's the day to decide that so that next week you can enter into the waters of baptism and be washed brand new following Jesus, emerging with a brand new life. Today's the day. If you've never made that decision, man, on our app, we got a form that says, I want to get baptized or I got questions about baptism. Uh, fill out that form. There's a box that says, I want to get baptized. Mark that box. If all that flies by you, you can stop and see somebody on our guide team. They're going to have a blue hoodie on. So I got a question about baptism. We'd love to talk to you about that. Today's the day. But Jesus stooped to serve and he modeled the path for us towards greatness. And it's because Jesus modeled this path that we live this way as a church. Like, it's just part of who we are. I shared with our team who got here this morning, and we all set all this up, and I was talking to them about serving, and sometimes I'll talk with pastors, and the question that, that pastors ask in their, uh, about their church is, how do we get people to serve? How do we get more people to serve? And it hit me this morning. I don't know why I never thought of it before, but the way churches get people to serve is create servants. Inspire people to become servants. Because servants serve. That's just what they do, right? If churches have people who are in that church and those people are not serving, then those churches are filled with people who are not servants. You follow me? Because servants serve. That's just what they do. Like Jesus getting up to wash his disciples' feet was not something difficult for him to do. Why? Because he was a servant. And what servants do is serve. So you want to know if you're a servant? Are you serving in this church? That answers your question. Now, serving in the church isn't the only indicator. Because servants don't just serve in church. Servants serve in their homes. Servants serve in their family. Servants serve in their business. Servants Serve. Jesus said, now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. And I can't imagine hearing a message like this and saying, well, I'm still not going to serve. Because servants serve. It's just second nature. It's what we do. That, that's why here in this church, everybody is a trash picker upper. Like everybody. It doesn't matter who you are. You see a piece of trash on the floor, you pick it up. Why? Because this is your church. You care about it. And servants serve. We want to make sure this place looks great. It's not our building. That's okay. We want to leave it better than when we found it. Why? Because servants serve. A, a, a few months ago, um, there was this time, and, and you guys saw Dave. He's my brother-in-law. He was up here on stage doing uh, hosting with Nick. But a few months ago, I guess on Saturday night, somebody threw up in the bathroom sink or, or something like that and left it. And so we got here on Sunday morning, and uh, Dave isn't great because he gets on stage and talks to people. Here's what makes Dave great. When he saw the throw up in the bathroom sink, he cleaned it up. And he didn't say, it's not my job, I need to get somebody else to do it. Instead, with his gag reflex, he cleaned up the throw up. Because servants serve. That's what we do. Jason Creamer, week after week after week, he would show up and go out in that parking lot, which is a mess on Saturday nights. It's a mess on Sunday mornings when we get here. He would go out and he'd pick up trash 
every single week. Nobody asked him to do it. He just kept doing it because he cares about this place. He's a servant. Servants serve. And he wanted to make sure that when you showed up on Sunday morning, you didn't show up and step on a sonic cup. Servants serve. That's just what we do. That's just who we are. And if you're not currently serving, might I suggest as humbly as I can that you are not a servant. Because being a servant is not what you do. It's who you are. And if you are a servant, you're serving in other areas and it has to bleed. It's got to bleed. You can't help but let it bleed over into your service in the church. So if you're a servant, and you're not currently serving here in this church, we got to rid the red board. It's time to get your name up there because you're a servant, right? So let it bleed over into what you do in church. And if you're like, I want to be a servant, here's how you be a servant. Start serving. As you start serving, it might be really difficult at first, but as you continue on, it will get easier and easier. And you'll find that because you're serving, you become a servant. Jesus said, you'll be blessed if you do what I say. So today's the day to do what he said, because I don't know about you, but I want to be blessed. I want to let my drum major instinct rise and shine. And the way that I do that is by embracing the path of servanthood, by stooping to serve. I want to learn from the disciples, but not in this instance. Because in this instance, no one stooped to serve. So I'm looking at Jesus, the most important person in the room. And I'm saying, I want to be like him. So I'll gladly stoop to serve anybody because I want to be great in my life. You know, I started this sermon talking about Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and this sermon that he preached called The Drum Major Instinct. And at the end of that sermon, he started talking about his funeral. This service where they recollect his life and they celebrate his life. And... Um, he told people what he wanted to be said at his funeral. And I thought about just telling you what he said, but I, I just figured I, I probably can't preach as good as Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. So I'm going to let you listen to him as he says it. Check this out. We all think about it, and every now and then I think about my own death, and I think about my own funeral, and I don't think of it in a morbid sense. Every now and then I ask myself, what is it that I would want to say? And I leave the word to you this morning. If any of you are around, when I have to meet my day, I don't want a long funeral. And if you get somebody to deliver the eulogy, tell them not to talk too long. And every now and then I wonder what I want them to say. Tell them not to mention that I have a Nobel Peace Prize. That isn't important. Tell them not to mention that I have three or four hundred other awards. That's not important. Tell them not to mention where I went to school. I'd like somebody to mention that day that Martin Luther King Jr. tried to give his life serving others. I'd like for somebody to say that day that Martin Luther King Jr. tried to love somebody. I want you to say that day that I tried to be right on the wall question. I want you to be able to say that day that I did try to feed the hungry. 
I want you to be able to say that day that I did try in my life to close those who were naked. I want you to say on that day that I did try in my life to visit those who were in prison. I want you to say that I tried to love and serve humanity. Yes, if you want to say that I was a drum major, say that I was a drum major for justice. Say that I was a drum major for peace. I was a drum major for righteousness. And all of the other shallow things will not matter. I won't have any money to leave behind. I won't have the fine and luxurious things of life to leave behind. But I just want to leave a committed life behind. Yeah. And that's all I want to say. If I can help somebody as I pass along, if I can cheer somebody with a word of song, if I can show somebody he's traveling wrong, then my living will not be in vain. If I can do my duty as a Christian or if I can bring salvation to a world once wrought, if I can spread the message as the Master taught, then my living will not be in vain. Yes, Jesus, I want to be on your right or your left side, not for any selfish reason. I want to be on your right or your left side, not in terms of some political kingdom or ambition, but I just want to be there in love and in justice and in truth and in commitment to others so that we can make of this old world a new world. So, I told you I couldn't say it like him. So the question is, will you stoop to serve? Will you stoop to serve? Will you stoop to serve? Would you answer that question? as you partake in communion right now.